right, very good. Uh, so uh, those of you who are with us this morning, you know the typical drill. Uh, what we do is we will open up Scripture, that we will walk through Scripture, that we will glean what Scripture has to show us. But uh, this morning is a little unique as we launch into the fall and uh, everything that the Lord has for us in this next season of ministry. I wanted to do a bit of... Uh, a progress report on where we are now as a church and where we're going. Um, So just a little bit of review. In early 2021, uh, our elders came before the church, uh, came before many of you and said, we need to change, right? That that, uh, we cannot continue to stay the same, that if things continue to stay the same, that that things uh, won't be looking good for us, right? And that there are things that Jesus has called us to, and so we needed to refocus. And and kind of of the big indicators uh, of some of those realities for us is uh, finances and people, right? As we look at the number of people who uh, regularly gather on a Sunday morning, and as we looked at how finances were, we were kind of saying, hey, uh, this isn't looking good right? Uh, and so there were some needs, and, and our elders identified needs, and the biggest needs, I think, that came out of that whole season for us is we said, we just need to go deeper in prayer, right? We need to just devote ourselves to prayer as a church, and then, uh, and we need to see evangelism kind of take root, some activity of evangelism. We need uh, people who are not currently knowing Jesus, not currently following Jesus, getting to know Jesus through the ministry of our church and becoming a part of a, a community that follows Jesus, right? That's something that we were saying, we need to see some more of this. And so at the end of, uh, as late as the end of 2022, our finances were still really struggling. That was, uh, you know, last December, by the way. Uh, Our elders were in this position where we were saying, hey, we might have some hard decisions that we're going to have to start making here. And so I want to give you some encouragement this morning. And the encouragement is this. Jesus is rewriting the story of this church. He is rewriting the story of this church. It's literally happening as we uh, witness it. I mean, truly, our elders, as we uh, meet, every meeting that we have, we spend time in prayer together. And every time we are praying, we are just looking at what is happening. And we're saying, God, thank you. Like, thank you that we get to be a part of this. Thank you that we get to witness the kinds of things that are taking place here actually take place. And thank you that you would choose to use us in any of it, right? This is very exciting. So what are we seeing? Well, we're seeing more people generally involved in our church. And I don't just mean coming on Sunday morning. I mean involved in ministries of the church, serving in ministries of the church. We're now this year starting a third Crossroads Club and expanding Crossroads into middle school. I mean, that's amazing that we get the opportunity to do that. Uh, finances are turning around, praise not, uh, we're not struggling or worried about what necessarily is going to happen next, right? Like we're not in that place where we're saying, oh, we might have some hard decisions to make, right? Through Crossroads, we are connecting with an number of families, right? That's very exciting. Uh, we're bringing the gospel to people who otherwise wouldn't have connected to the gospel. 
advancing, some discipleship goals that get us all kind of more greatly invested into the lives of lost people. All of this is really good stuff. This is, this is stuff that tells us God is up to something, right? God is doing something and this is good. So I want to tell you, I'm super encouraged at what's happening at this church. I want to share that encouragement with you. I think you all should be encouraged too, right? These are some good things, right? Like just even say, like at our prayer meeting, our prayer meeting traditionally been like maybe five, maybe six people show up, we'll pray together, we'll go. And like over the last three months, the prayer meeting has expanded like 400% in terms of the number of people who are a part of it. It's been really, really cool to witness that. Uh, that I hear now people talking, having conversations and saying, um, well, you know, I have this boss that I work with and I'm trying to, you know, to share the gospel with them. I'm trying to figure out, uh, you know, how best to represent Jesus to them as I'm witnessing. And, uh, and so I love hearing stories like that and I hearing stories of, oh, I have this coworker and she's gone through this really tough time and I'm trying now to, to find a way to, to meet her in the midst of her pain and extend some kind of hope to her, right? So all of this stuff, I, this is good stuff to to be able to hear that more and more people are understanding, hey, Jesus has put us on mission, not only as a part of a church or as a part of an organization, Jesus has put us on mission in the places that we live and work, and we are seeking to see him go to work in those places. That's super encouraging. And now we get to be the story of the development of missionaries who are going to go to the ends of the earth. I don't know if you got to read that announcement in the email this week, but uh, we are uh, we have the opportunity now to hire somebody to help with some of our office stuff, but uh, the district has given us the chance to also be involved in the development of missionaries in that process who are going to go uh, to... to to the ends of the earth, right? We're, and so we're super excited to now be a part of what is happening with them. Uh, that, that people are going to be here among us for two years, and at the end of those two years, we will get to bless them and send them out so that they can go start a new work in some other place in the world. And this is exciting, right? I, and so I, I'm super jazzed, if you can't tell. Um, and so I just want to tell you, Jesus is indeed rewriting the story of this church and we need to be clear about this. He has only just started. Right? He's only just started rewriting the story of this church. Okay, so Nehemiah 11. That's where we're going to be, Nehemiah chapter 11 this morning. The book of Nehemiah tells us a story about how God advances some of his kingdom objectives. Just to give you some context so you know what's going on here, Nehemiah, uh, Jerusalem had destroyed. Uh, Judah had deported into Babylonian exile. And in Nehemiah's time, we're at this time that is at the end of that exile. It was a a 70-year exile. You know what? I'm just going to grab this microphone right here so that we don't have to deal with the going in and out. Chick, chick, chick. We good? There we go. Oh, yeah, you can hear me crystal clear with that. So, uh, So Jerusalem had been destroyed. Judah went into exile. Uh, and now the people of Jerusalem, the people of Judea, they're, they're, they're returning from their exile. They're able to return, but there's this uh, little bit of a problem. The problem is that the city of Jerusalem is in ruins, right? It's broken down. It, the walls are destroyed. The report of Nehemiah to the king is that the walls are destroyed and the gates have been burned with fire, right? That this, this is a terrible situation that is going on. 
and primarily because Jerusalem is the focal point of what God was doing in the world, right? Like the Jewish nation, like this is the capital city that uh, through Jerusalem, God's plan was to extend hope to the nations, right? Jerusalem is the place where the temple was supposed to be. Jerusalem, like God's throne for his Messiah is in Jerusalem, right? All of this was true, and the Israelites were aware of all of these things. And so Nehemiah has an opportunity to go to Jerusalem to kind of put things back together and to advance God's kingdom objectives. So let's just clarify what God's kingdom objectives in the book of Nehemiah are really quickly so that we know what we're talking about. God's kingdom objectives in Nehemiah are these. Uh, Number one, he is to rebuild the wall and the gates in order to fortify the city. That's the task that he's given. Pretty much uh, the the majority of the book of Nehemiah is about this, about the process of rebuilding the wall and the gates. Why does that matter? Well, a city without a wall is not a city that can last. Right? In, in ancient times, cities needed walls in order to be able to thrive. Cities existed like this in order to be able to, uh, to function, for, uh, f- in order to be able to have trade and have uh, kind of different things going on in the markets and all of this stuff. You needed to be able to keep out bandits. You needed to be able to verify who was coming into the gates of the city. That's what the walls functioned for. And so uh, in order for Jerusalem to thrive, it needed Walls. The second of God's kingdom objectives in Nehemiah is that he would prepare to restore the temple. Now, Nehemiah is not given this instruction, but we know that the temple belongs in Jerusalem. You need a functioning and thriving city to support the rebuilding of a temple. Rebuilding Jerusalem would also restore national life and identity. Right? If you, you know that this is your capital city, this is, by the way, the place that all of the prophets have promised would be significant work, that is, that, that is going to happen through the restoration of Jerusalem. And then finally, you are preparing for the Messiah. These were the things that God was accomplishing. In Jerusalem, the Messiah would come and take his throne. So Nehemiah, he goes and he gathers the people who have returned and he, uh, he starts praying, right? That's one of his most significant works in the book. He, he, he prays again and again and again uh, that God would uh, go to work, that he would be able to gather the right people to put the people right in, in the right places to be in charge of rebuilding the wall. And, and he sets them towards this work. And as he prays and leads the people in this way, um, they together steward a literal miracle. Right? As, as they engage in this process, they rebuild the wall. And uh, I mean, I don't know the exact, let's say in about one-sixth of the time that it should take to rebuild a wall. Like we don't know the exact details of how long it should have taken them. All we know is that it took them much less time than it should have taken them to rebuild the wall. It's kind of like whenever you work on a project at home and you know how you have to take like one or two or five trips to Home Depot because you forgot different pieces, right? This is, this is like they didn't have to take any more trips to Home Depot. Like everything that they planned was perfectly executed from beginning to end. There were no hiccups in the process. It all worked out well. And in the midst of it, they had to deal with opposition, people coming against them, people mocking them and threatening them and all of this stuff. And so so they work through this miracle. And, and after they watch the walls get built, Ezra, the priest, he reads the book of the law to the people. And then we witness a revival in Israel. 
right, where they had no concern and they recognized we have not been concerned with the things of God, with the law of God. They heard about all of the feasts that they had neglected over all these years. And Nehemiah or or Ezra, as he reads these things, the people, they're like, these things were commanded to us. We've not been doing them for all of this time. And there is a deep conviction of sin on their part. They, they really realize uh, kind of the extent that they've come to. They all go through this season of confession, of repentance. And, and so just so we describe what's happening rightly, you need to understand. After a season of exile, where these people who once held on to the promises of God were sent away to Babylon, a gen- two generations of people who had now been enculturated into the, the, the people, the, the place of Babylon, they now have this opportunity to come back to their home. And so, so this idea that we get to return to what once was ours, this creates a little bit of passion, but now you add to that the fact that they watched God work this miracle of them being able to rebuild the walls. And then you add to that the fact that they listen to his word and they have all of this conviction. Like what is happening is that passion and zeal is growing among God's people, right? He is building up passion and zeal among them. And so that gets us to Nehemiah chapter 11, right? All of that gets us to Nehemiah chapter 11. Jerusalem was not safe to live in before. Right? It was a city without walls. So, so what actually happened is people returned to Jerusalem. What they really did is they returned to the villages outside of Jerusalem because people were still bandits and, and different robbers and all this stuff. They, they were still coming into the city. Thieves were coming into the city. It was not safe to live in the city. And so a lot of people lived outside of the city in villages. And in order to really fortify the city and establish it, well, you can't have a city with no people in it, right? You need to send people into the city. So Nehemiah 11.1, verse 1 says this. Now the leaders of the people lived in Jerusalem. This is saying the leaders recognized the need for there to be people in Jerusalem. They lived in Jerusalem. And the rest of the people, they cast lots to bring one out of ten to live in Jerusalem, the holy city, while nine out of ten remained in the other towns. So what this means is that all of the villages that surround Jerusalem, one out of ten people was to go, and they were to uproot their lives and their families and take themselves and move themselves into Jerusalem. To go to a place that, you know, 50 days ago, was unsafe, was not established, did not have uh, a solid economy, was uh, presented all sorts of threat to your life, but now you are told to uproot your life and go here. Why? Well, because God is advancing his kingdom objectives, right? He has things that he is trying to accomplish, and, and it centers around Jerusalem. And so these villages, what they have to do is they have to give one-tenth of their people. And let's keep the eyes on the prize here, right? The Messiah of Israel, the, the leader that they had been looking forward to, the one who was supposed to come and save them, and not only save them, but then extend the blessing of God to the entire world. That person was supposed to come to Jerusalem. You cannot have a Messiah without a Jerusalem, right? You need a Jerusalem in order for there to be a Messiah. And so some people, as they understand the stories and the promises that they've been given, they're going, gosh, Jerusalem is really important. 
right? We need to keep this place lifted up. And so, so they go into Jerusalem because this, they know, is what advances God's kingdom objectives. So verse 2 of chapter 11, it says, And the people blessed all the men who willingly offered to live in Jerusalem. What this is telling us is that there were some who were so passionate, some who were so zealous for what God was doing, that when it came time to cast the lots, they said, don't cast the lots, I'll go. Right. I'll, I'll take responsibility. I will uproot my family. We'll, we'll move from this place that we've established ourselves. We'll go into the city of Jerusalem because we recognize how important this is. Right? They took it upon themselves. They shouldered the burden for God's objectives, and they said, yes, we are going to go. We're going to leave this place that we're familiar with, and we're going to go participate in the work that God is doing because we are so zealous for what God is going to do in Jerusalem. We're excited for what's going to happen when the Messiah gets here. And so what do the people do? It says that the people, that they blessed those who volunteered. Right, That as the people in the towns witness those raising their hands and saying, yes, we'll take the step of faith, we will go. Then the people gathered around them, they, they blessed them. They sought to be a blessing to those who were shouldering this responsibility because they saw the value of what was happening. Everybody saw the value of what was happening. And so what follows from here, I mean, if you read the rest of the book, the, the book is like a, a log of the people who went in and uh, took up residence in Jerusalem, right? It, it keeps track of all of the people who went in, right? But I just want to look at this, that, that God was advancing his kingdom objectives here in the book of Nehemiah. And there's this beautiful picture of him using people who said, I'm willing to be used, Right? I'm willing to go. I'm willing to take the step. I'm willing to uproot my life because I see what you are doing. And so this gives us an example of uh, how God sometimes chooses to advance his objectives simply through people who said, okay, I'll do it. Right? So, okay. This, uh, this gives us this example. Now, our church, we are uh, not in a situation where we are rebuilding a city. right? But I will tell you, that uh, this side of Christ's death and resurrection, right? that he, God, has kingdom objectives that he is in the purpose of advancing right now. right? So, so before I answer exactly what those objectives are, I kind of need to say what they're not, just to make sure that we're clear on certain things. We, so, so churches, we constantly need to fight a temptation. We tend to do this thing where we say uh, we want a progress report on ourselves. And, and so we turn inwardly and look at what's going on in here and say, yes, we can develop our progress report by examining what's happening inside. So uh, do we have more people than we did last year? Do we have more money than we did last year? Do we feel like we have the community that we need here, or at least more of it than we did last year? Do we feel like we're growing spiritually, that we're in a better place now than we were last year? And, and so we think that if we turn inwardly and examine the answers to those questions, and it, we answer yes to those questions, then the temptation becomes even stronger for us to say, well, we must be advancing God's kingdom objectives, right, as we look at that. But it's interesting that Jesus clarified what the kingdom objectives were before he ascended. 
Right? He actually said explicitly what the kingdom objectives were. In Matthew 28, 19 and 20, he says this. In verse 19, he says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. So that's one. And then another kingdom objective that he clarifies again before he ascends into heaven. Verse 8 of Acts chapter 1. But you will receive when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So in both of these, what Jesus does is he clearly states the kingdom objective, that the focus is outward. Right? The focus is beyond you. He's looking at the group of disciples and he's telling them, you are not going to know the completion of your mission by turning inwardly because your mission is not inward. Your mission is outward. Your mission is to the nations. Your mission is beyond you. Go make disciples of all the nations. Go to the region beyond your region. That's what he says in, in, uh, in Acts 1.8. He's saying... First, you're going to go to Jerusalem, but then once you see things happening in Jerusalem, you're not going to stop in Jerusalem. You're going to expand it to Judea, the entire region that you would go in. And oh, by the way, while you're thinking of Judea, there's also Samaria, that place that you would prefer to ignore and not deal with. You're also going to turn your attention towards them. Well, and then once you kind of deal with Judea and Samaria, you're not going to stop there. You're going to go to the ends of the earth. Right? You're going to keep going out. You're going to keep turning your focus out because there are still more to be done. There's more witnessing to be done. And so what this shows us is that Jesus's mission-oriented family is a family that is ever turning our attention outward. Right? We're ever looking outward to go to people who have not yet heard. Right? To bring the hope of the story of Jesus and to make disciples who make disciples. This is the, the command that is given. This is the objective that Jesus gives. And so part of Jesus kind of rewriting our story as a church is actually just getting really clear and simple on the primary objective that he gave to the church, right? The primary objective that he gave to the disciples, Right, so, so, like as we have been praying and been processing, we said, hey, we need to do this first thing really well. We need to focus on this responsibility. Okay, so what does that actually mean for our objectives or, or God's objectives for us? How, how will we play our part in advancing God's kingdom objectives? Well, as, uh, as our elders collectively, as we've been praying and seeking God over the last three years, we believe God has clarified this vision for us, right? And so we, you've heard some of this language, and we're talking about it. We changed the name of our church to help clarify this. We, uh, the, the, the quote out on the wall, we are stories God is writing about Jesus making things new. That as every time that we come in here, that we would understand that God is writing a story onto our lives. And here's the interesting thing about stories. Stories are meant to be read. They don't exist for themselves. We reflect something to other people. And what is it that we're reflecting? Well, we're reflecting work that God has done. Right, something that he is doing, and what is he doing? Well, he's making us new. He's doing new things inside of us, and so we want to be a part of reflecting that to the world around us, to our spheres of influence. Right, so that's that's our purpose. We clarified that. We've tried to say it again and again and again. Right, 
But all of that comes in light of the mission, the objectives that he's given us, that we make disciples who make disciples, that we're turning outward, that we're looking to all nations. And so, so as we've been asking to, to clarify this vision, let's say, what is the vision of the church? Um, and everybody deals with these words differently. So if you would forgive me for uh, being a little uh, nitpicky on this, but I think vision really asks the question, how are we going to get there? Right? We know what we're supposed to do. We know what we've been told to do. But what is the clear kind of next step, the thing that we need to tackle in order to, to get where he's telling us to go? And so we've used this language, but I think it's really simple to just clarify it and state what it is. The vision for this church is that we will become a conversion community. Right? You know, we've used this language of conversion community before what we've been processing. This is a community where 10% or more of the people in the church are new to following Jesus. That we would long for that to be a story that's here. Because there are churches that grow, but the majority of churches that grow, grow through transfer growth. Which means church people coming from other churches, people who uh, have decided to leave their church or had a church that closed or whatever it might be, that, that people end up in those churches from, uh, from other churches. That that is actually the majority of the way that churches grow. And while it is good to want your church to grow, it should not simply satisfy us that, oh, our church is growing because it should cause us to think about, well, who is our church growing with? Are we accomplishing the mission? Are there people who did not at one time know Jesus, but now that they've had interaction with us, they are starting to know and follow Jesus and perhaps even be baptized and discipled into Jesus and into the life of Christ? That is what we want to become. We want to become a conversion community where a significant portion of the people who call this church home are new to following Jesus. So let's talk about what that means for you. What that means for you is that, and what it means for all of us, it means that every person in the church, I mean, if you can do math, go with me here, every person in the church will take responsibility or shoulder the burden of bringing one person in their sphere of influence to Jesus and integrating them into the life of a church and seeing them discipled every 10 years. That, that each of us, as we raise our hands, as we recognize our responsibility, that we would all say, yes, I'm going to take responsibility for one person in my sphere of influence, that I'm going to draw them to Jesus, that I'm going to help them see the value of following Jesus, and I'm going to get them integrated into the life of a Christian community. Right? That's what it looks like for us to be a conversion community. Now, we have used the, the values, bless, belong, and become, to describe how we're going to do this. Right, And we're walking down this pathway. We're seeing progress down this pathway. I'm not going to get into explaining bless, belong, and become to you. But I just want to simply tell you that this is the pathway that, that the Lord has laid out in front of us. Like We believe that God is working to make us into a conversion community. This is why we're emphasizing the prayer meeting because I don't know if you remember at the 40th anniversary celebration but we told the story of how this church got started and Ed Bernard who I had the opportunity to interview shared the story of how uh, 
literally, like, there were 25 people, and the only work that they had to do was work of evangelism. Like, that's all that they could devote themselves to. So they went around neighborhoods, and they invited people to church. They told people about Jesus. But do you also know what they spent a significant portion of their time doing? Like, about half of his story was how they gathered together and prayed for hours for people to come to know Jesus. And as they prayed... Well, lo and behold, God was doing light work in the life of those people and drawing them to Jesus. And then they show up on somebody's doorstep or show up in church the next Sunday and said, hey, I picked up this Bible. I'm wondering what some of this stuff means. Right. So that's how this church started, the story of this church. And I, I, we long as elders to see this church return to a place that is a conversion community where we are seeing God go to work in a significant way. So I want to tell you that we're not there yet but we are seeing progress towards that objective, right? We're, we're seeing momentum in that direction and for all of the reasons that I described earlier. So that's how we begin taking ownership of God's objective. And it also means that once we hit 10%, we're not done, right? Because it's 10% every year, right? So you keep looking and you say, okay, once we hit 10%, like there's more. Actually, as long as, uh, Pastor Don and I were talking about this this morning, say there's 100 people in this church who call this church home, and there's 15 million people in Illinois, um, and uh, as long as there are 15 million people out here and only 100 in here, uh, and as long as the number of people in here or the number of people uh, in Jesus is, is lower than 15 million, our job is not done. Right, we keep going, right? We keep going until that number is filled up, right? We're constantly looking outward to, to what happens. And so um, there's always this like core concern, like as a, as a church, we're going to be focused on that, that, that we're going to keep turning our eyes towards that. But it also means that uh, the kind of place that this has to be, to be a compelling community, we continue to love each other. We continue to invest in each other. We continue to be a place where people can belong. And, uh, and we believe that as we do this, that people will see this community as a, a place where God's objectives can be accomplished. The clarity of that vision was beginning to crystallize for me. And this is where Nehemiah comes in. So now we're going to shift back to Nehemiah. So uh, so as we as elders begin to describe the clarity of that vision, as we begin to say, yes, we want to be a conversion community. Uh, I had the joy of being in our men's Bible study. Let me give a quick plug for our men's Bible study. Uh, we d- deliver or we uh, discover some really significant things as we dig and study together. And as I was studying with our men's Bible study in the book of Nehemiah, Uh, the Lord caused me to ask a question. And it was a question about another kind of 10%. So uh, Nehemiah 11.1. Verse 1 says this, The people, the rest of the people, cast lots to bring one out of 10 to live in Jerusalem. And the people blessed all the men who willingly offered to live in Jerusalem. So our objectives are very different from Nehemiah's objectives, right? Like the, the kingdom work that is getting done looks different now than it did then. But the principle is the same. God uses people who are willing in order to carry out his kingdom objectives, right? This passage caused me and then subsequently our elders to ask a question. Like what if our church became a place that not just tithed our money to the Great Commission Fund, 
right, to ends of the earth work? Right? What if our church became a place that not just grew by 10% conversion growth, although we are really excited and anticipating hitting that goal? But what if, like these villages around Jerusalem, we became a place that tithed people to God's kingdom objectives? Right, that tithed people to objectives that are beyond us because as we keep turning our heads outward, we discover that there is an abundance of people who are lost and don't know Jesus and are hopeless without him and that there is massive work to be done, not just here in our community, not even just here in our church. There is work to be done beyond us in regions that go far out. And so what if our church became a resource for the kingdom and the kinds of people that we develop here? What if we raised up a handful of people here with a a, a purpose of sending them out to start a new conversion community somewhere else? What if we raised up leaders here who could build healthy culture and conversion culture into the places that they go? What if we sent out, by the way, which we are with the FARS, church planters who are eventually going to go to the ends of the earth and start a new work in a neighborhood and get to know their neighbors and have potlucks and share tables and gain opportunity to share Jesus with people? What if that became the kind of thing that we developed here? Why would we do this? Well, um, or you might ask the question, why us? Because I have gotten that, that question as we, uh, as we think about the fact that we have opportunity to develop leaders here. We say, but why us? Like, why would we develop? Like, what's so great? Uh, I mean, I, I, I love you guys, and I know you love me, and we love this place, right? But, like, what's so significant here that we say we could develop leaders here? I want to give you some encouraging words from our district. Our district leadership has looked at our church and say, actually, there are some significant markers here, including an openness to change, which many of you have expressed through the last. We've gone through a change process over the course of three years that in most churches, most people leave the church if you go through that kind of a change process, Right? But the district looks at that and says, okay, there's a place that's open to change. And that's really significant. It means that there's a significant amount of humility among the leaders and among the the people of that church. Um, Okay, so there's one piece. But then there's uh, another piece, which is if you're going to send out a church planter, the last thing that you want to do is to put them in a church of 200 or 300 or 500 people. Because you know what most church plants, the size that they end up being is? They start at like 50 people. Right? Most church plants start at about 50 people, which means if you're training up church planters in a context of 500 or 1,000 people and then expecting to send them out, you're setting them up to fail right? because they, they need to learn what a smaller community, how it functions and what it requires. And so the district is looking at us and saying, actually, like, if, you're gonna, if we're, as a district, if we're going to send out church planters, We want them to learn in a smaller place because that's the kind of place that they'll very likely be replicating. And so if if we're not sending out church planters, if we're sending out, say, uh, people who are going to go reinforce the ministry of other churches, well, did you know that most other churches are like between 50 and 70 people? Like the majority of churches, not just in our district, but nationwide are between 50 and 70 people, right? So they're, they're looking, the district is looking at our church and saying there's some really healthy and good things happening here. And, and this is replicatable, right? What's happening here can be replicated in other places. And so uh, that's encouragement from our district. And that's causing us to say, well, what if we exist as a resource for the kingdom to be used in order to be able to send people out 
as they are developed here to go and resource more of God's objectives in other places beyond us. Okay, so what does this mean practically? Uh, I want to give you two next steps and then we'll do the so what. So two next steps. I, I've already described one to you, but uh, coming on staff, uh, we have Nathan and Jana Farr. Uh, Nathan is going to take up the bulk of the responsibility of the job description we've built, uh, covering many communication details that, uh, thankfully, I have I, I've not been able to cover myself. But we have uh, somebody coming in to uh, to provide assistance in that realm, and that's fantastic. But on top of that, he's also going to gain uh, some development in leadership and in ministry. Uh, to both uh, work towards his ordination, but also prepare him, uh, prepare him and Jana both for the work that they're going to do as they go out uh, to do international work somewhere and very likely go to plant a church somewhere. So that's one thing that we get to do. Another significant step, next step, though, um, is that we as a church are going to begin walking down a pathway towards uh, becoming what is known as a greenhouse environment. A greenhouse environment. So what is that? I'm glad you asked. Um, A greenhouse environment is a place where leaders in our district can be sent to in order to grow and develop in that place so that then they can be sent out from that place in order to aid the ministry of the gospel somewhere else or in order to start a new work or to plant a church or something along those lines. So uh, so what do these greenhouse environments do? Well, they, the district comes in, they, they do an evaluation of our church, and they, they basically try to say, hey, there are these things that we see that are good, and there are these things that we want you to work on. And what they're trying to do is they're trying to create a culture and an environment where they feel like we can replicate healthy leaders here so that those leaders can then be sent out and replicate more healthy culture where they go. Okay, so that's what greenhouse is. And I'm just going to throw these in front of you really quick. I I would even tell you that you don't have to worry about writing them down. But our our national office and our district has thought really well about these categories and have done a lot of work and a lot of research along these lines as to what is most beneficial for the kind of culture that we want leaders to replicate where they go. And so these are called seven practices of a mobilized ministry. These are the things that the district is looking for when they come to a church. Number one. The district is looking for divine expectation and engagement. Is there a daily sense that God is at work in the lives of people, that he is at work in the life of the church, that uh, we are seeking him for our next step, that we are aware that he has something else that he wants to do? It's clear to us that God is at work. Number two is shared interdependent leadership. The biggest question that's asked along these lines is, uh, does the pastor do everything or is the responsibility shared amongst a multiplicity of leaders? Number three, implementation of clear purpose and direction. just so you know, whenever this happens, uh, I think it's probably going to happen sometime in November or December, but uh, the district is going to come in and they're going to do an evaluation. Part of that evaluation is going to be interviews with many of you. And one of the questions that they're going to be seeking to ask is like, do you know what the purpose is? Can you Do you know what the church is trying to accomplish? Is it clear that you're going in the same direction? And they're going to listen to everybody tell, and you know, we could say 50 different things, and if that happens, then they'll say, okay, well, we need to work on clarifying as a church our purpose and direction. 
right? Uh, number four is multiplication. So the, the idea behind that is, um, number one, are we multiplying believers, right? Do we see believers replicating ourselves? But then beyond that, are uh, the believers that we're multiplying, are we multiplying then leaders? Are we seeing more leaders develop among us? And then as we think about the development of leaders, is there maybe some time in the future that we could ima imagine multiplying a church, right? Because if we have something healthy here, why would we not take it if we have the opportunity to and replicate it somewhere else, right? So that's some of the, the language that goes on with multiplication. Number five is engaging every man, woman, and child with the gospel, um, that this, I mean, we're trying to, to really hold on to this, to wave this banner, but this is one of the things that they look for. Number six, um, do you have a balanced ministry? Meaning is there, is there input towards uh, taking care of the people who are in the church? Is there input, clear input towards developing uh, a clear pathway of discipleship? Uh, is there um, other things along this line? Is there clear outreach ministry? Uh, and so all of these questions are asked in relation to balanced ministry. And then finally, number seven, kingdom collaboration. Are you willing to work together with other organizations and other resources in your community, in your region, uh, in order to see the gospel go forward. So these are all the categories that they look for, and they say when we have these, uh, this is something that we can replicate. We can send leaders to a place that represents these, prepare that leader, and then send them out to multiply that in some other place. Okay, that's a lot of information, but I just wanted to bring you up to speed on some next steps that we're taking in, uh, as a church. And then I want to ask you the question, which we ask every week, which is, so what? I have three they're all very brief. The first question is this, who is your one? As we talked about that 10% conversion growth number that each of us over the course of the next 10 years is going to shoulder the burden of bringing one person uh, to faith in Jesus and not just to faith in Jesus, but seeing them integrated into a faith community, seeing them uh, discipled in a clear and productive way. So who is your one? Maybe you know who that is. Maybe you don't. If you don't, I, I ask you to start praying. Ask God to reveal to you who that person in your sphere of influence currently is. Or if that sphere of influence doesn't exist, maybe you ask God to start directing you, where am I then supposed to go to find the sphere of influence where you have somebody that you want to see drawn to Jesus? Number two, ask yourself, how can I contribute to what God wants to replicate, right? So that whole shared interdependent leadership thing means, uh, means that as much as I might want to, I cannot create all of the realities in this church that we would want to replicate. The realities that are needed to be created are created by all of us, right? It's a culture that we are seeking to replicate here, which requires every single one of us. So as we talked about those seven practices, as we talked about the things that we're taking ownership of, I just ask you, like, what's your next step? What is the thing that the Lord is pointing to you to say, I can contribute to what God wants to replicate by doing that or taking that step or uh, sharing that table with somebody. So I just ask you to consider that. And number three, um, church, I just invite us to be a blessing to the fars. Now, I don't have question in my mind as to whether or not you're going to do that, right? Because I know that this is how you treat people, right? You bless people as they come in. But I want to say to us to be really intentional about blessing them. 
Why? Because until Jesus comes back, there are still more people whom the Father is working to draw into his family. And every time somebody says, I will go wherever God wants me to go to participate in that work of, of seeing the Father draw people into his family. As, as long as there's somebody who says that, then this church at the, very last, or at the very least should be a people who say, we are behind that, we support that, and we are going to bless whoever says that they are going to go and take part in that work. Okay, church, so that's, that's the circumstances for us. That's uh, kind of where we're at. It was a joy for me to be able to share much of that with you. Uh, and I would just tell you, uh, genuinely, I am very excited about what is in store, what God has as the next steps for our church. So with all that being said, would you pray with me, please? Jesus, thank you for what you are doing for what we're getting to witness, that we're seeing people come to faith in you. We have uh, testimony that was given at our church within the last month of somebody who has believed in Jesus and has integrated into the life of a church. And so, Lord, we are, we are grateful for that. We're glad to see that you would still choose to use us. And Lord, as we think about um, how you choose to accomplish your pur- purposes. For some reason, you have decided that um, human beings are who you're going to use. That you would choose to use us um, as a means of accomplishing your objectives. That you would fill us with your Holy Spirit, that you would cleanse us from our sin and say, yes, I will associate myself with these people in order to see my purposes accomplished in the world. Thank you for that, Jesus. Lord, as we now look to communion, as we receive with gratefulness the, the grace that you are constantly extending toward us, Lord, would you fill up our own hearts with zeal and passion towards the work that you are doing? Lord, that, that we would be excited to receive those who are ready to be developed and sent out to receive the fars and to bless them, that we would be excited to be a part of this being a resource for your kingdom, that we could be utilized by you and by churches and our district as, a, as an opportunity to send out more leaders to replicate your work in the world. Thank you for this, Jesus, and we pray all of this in your name.